Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Good morning. I thought about that, and that's the fourth time you've heard that today, but I just couldn't resist. It's such a nice day. Uh, I love the way God works to put things together. I wanted to start by saying I hope you find this message encouraging, and I do, because it is uh, very encouraging, I believe. And then I looked at the bulletin, and I noticed that tonight... John will be leading our thoughts in a lesson called The Mind of an Encourager. So this morning we're going to be talking about the renewing of your mind, and tonight you get a chance to learn how to use it as an encourager. So I thought that was good. And I also want to thank Glenn uh, for the songs. I think the ones you picked out really resonate with this uh, theme. Now, I know that. I hope you'll figure that out by the end uh, of, of our time together this morning. We live in exciting times of paradox. Um, We know more about God's universe and the history of his actions on earth uh, than ever ever before. We have more solid, hard evidence uh, to believe that he exists and that the things he's done in history are real and true and accurate. And I was interested, several of us traveled through some of the Bible lands this year And it's amazing when you realize that almost every science that you can think of is being applied to the archaeology and the discoveries of places that we find in the Bible. You have DNA testing, uh, satellite resonance imagery, radar imagery. Uh, You have all kinds of science that you can think of applied to these places and the evidence that we find uh, for God's existence. Yet the paradox I'm talking about is that the more and more evidence we seem to have, the fewer people seem to be believing. And this morning, I think I want to talk with you about one important evidence, and that is about all the things that we're learning about the mind and the brain. There's just been so many exciting discoveries in the last few years, and it's, it's about something we all have in common, right? We all have a mind. Sometimes we feel like we're losing our minds, but we all have one, and they're all uh, capable of amazing things and being renewed. So I hope that you see a lot of possibilities in uh, this lesson, and as our friend Willie Franklin reminded us uh, in November, I hope you see a lot of potential in this, okay? Um, So I wanted to start by taking our minds back about 2,400 years, to a statement that Moses made uh, to the Israelites on the opposite side of the Jordan uh, from the Promised Land. And he was gathered with them there, and and he said this uh, statement that we're all very familiar with. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And, of course, we see in there the, the beautiful uh, dimensions of, of who we are as people. We have social dimensions, emotional dimensions, and physical dimensions. Now, about uh, 
let's see, 1430 years later, uh, Jesus was teaching in the temple. If you read it up in the, uh, the last part of Mark, he's going in and out of Jerusalem uh, toward his uh, crucifixion. And he, he repeats the same teaching beginning uh, with the Shema of Hero Israel. He says, Hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And he adds one important uh, dimension to that. He says, we shall love the Lord our God with all our mind and with all your strength. So to these dimensions of our personality that we have that God has wired into us, Jesus is saying that we can also love God with all of our mind. And I noticed in the, the way it was put in the hymn that we just sang, with our intellect, that God can take our intellect and use that uh, for his glory. And then in the statement that from our text, uh, Paul says that we should be uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he points out in this beautiful book of Romans that the spirit of God plays a key role in the renewing of our minds. So this morning, I want to start by exploring with you some of the things that we've learned about our mind over the past uh, 2,500 years. And of course, our minds, as we just noticed, uh, don't work in isolation. Uh, they're connected to our bodies, uh, to our brains. And uh, as Christians, we believe that we're spiritual beings. So our minds uh, work in conjunction uh, with our spirit and our souls. And I think what I would like you to see through this little journey is that it's taken us about 2,500 years to catch up to where God was way back when, when Paul wrote that statement that the mind is capable of renewal. So it's taken us a while uh, for the lights to come on, as you might say. So I hope you find this worthwhile. There's a, there's a fair amount of information here. Don't worry about trying to remember it all. If, you, if you'd like, I'll, there's a few copies at the back, and I, I can make more if you're interested, along with some suggestions uh, for further reading. But I do think uh, it is very interesting to see what people have thought about, about our minds over the last um, 2,500 years. Starting with a fellow named Empedocles uh, in about 450 BC, he thought that the mind is in the blood and the heart. This is called the cardiovascular theory. I'd like to say one thing as we get started. These people were no less bright and no less intelligent than we are, right? They just had fewer shoulders of giants to stand on. So they were doing the best they could with what they have. And, and there were a lot of things that they got right. And uh, so I just want to preface that. It's not to show that these people are ignorant or any less bright that we are. It's just that to show the process of discovery towards things that I think are, are pretty exciting. Anyway, he was a Greek philosopher. Um, and so... Um, so he thought that the mind is in, in our hearts, you know, and, and we often refer to our, our hearts as kind of the core of our being. So it's not really, uh, not really far off when you think about it. Hippocrates uh, was another um, important uh, physician, and you know, you'll know his name from the Hippocratic Oath. But he thought that the soul uh, is in the brain, uh, the so-called encephalic theory. Now, all the medical types, is that right, encephalic? Anyway, uh, that the, the idea there is that the soul is in the brain. Now, Plato uh, was a famous uh, philosopher, 
in about 375, he thought that the soul is in what he called the marrow of the head. So he kind of, he was headed, I guess, in the right direction uh, physiologically. Um, and then uh, Aristotle, who was a, a student in Plato's Academy and another uh, philosopher and scientist and tutor of Alexander the Great, he thought that the rational soul is centered in the heart. Now, moving forward about uh, 500 years uh, to a fellow named Galen in about AD 200, he thought that the life-giving spirits reside in the ventricles of the brain. And I gather the ventricles are those kind of spaces uh, between uh, the solid matter, and there's other things going on there. Anyway, that was his theory, and it gets a little bit closer um, to, to our modern sense of it. In uh, about 400, a fellow named Nemesius was a Christian philosopher who wrote a book on, on human nature, and he thought that the brain had three functions, uh, sensation and imagination, intellect and thought, and judgment and memory, uh, the storehouse of thought. Well, fast forward about a thousand years here to Andreas uh, Vesalius, who was referred to as the father of modern anatomy. And that what that is based on is his work as a physician. He actually dissected uh, human bodies to uh, discover more about how we're put together uh, physically. And he wrote a book called On the Fabric of the Human Body. And his perception was that the, uh, the brain is the center of the mind and, and of the emotions. You've probably all heard of uh, René Descartes, who was a French philosopher, mathematician, and scientist. And he came up with a very interesting idea that the mind is non-material. And uh, it controls the body. It's, it's not a physical thing. It's actually, um, it's, it's an analogy that we came to call uh, sort of the computer analogy. If you would take uh, your brain, for example, as, as the hardware of, of your sort of thought system, the software is kind of like that immaterial thing that kind of runs the computer, if you would. So that's an analogy that actually turns out that there's a lot of, a lot of truth to that. Now, it gets more interesting uh, as we move forward, of course. There were a couple of French physicians who started to identify localized uh, functions of the brain. And finally, um, in our own time, uh, many of you probably have heard of Wilder Penfield, Penfield, rather, and he did a lot of exploration into the brain functions, the different parts of the brain uh, where, where different um, processes occur. And he said the, the real problem of neurology is to understand man himself, and of course men and women. Uh, we would say. And so it's, it's a realization that th different things are happening in different parts of our physical brain, but he also recognized that there's much more going on here. So, so what, what do we learn from this 2,500 years of discovery? And I think this to me is very interesting and amazing when we start to think about what Paul was saying about um, the renewal of our minds, and it also it gets very very interesting at this point. It's, it turns out that this computer analogy has a lot of merit to it. That our brain is a physical thing, but our mind is is like a software. It's there, but it's running between all these parts and systems and neurons and all of this stuff uh, to make our minds work. 
the mind in that sense then is, is as much a process as it, as it is a physical thing. And it's very much involved in organizing our stream of thought and, and consciousness. And the brain, uh, like the computer, okay, this computer has, has information that's stored in hardware, but that information itself is, um, is, is something that we can take and we can utilize that as, as we think. And it turns out that when you have a memory, that there is an actual anatomical change in the structure of your brain. And this is a really, really key point uh, to this discussion. So the self then uh, is, is a combination of all these factors, which takes us back to Moses, that we are multidimensional beings, right? We have physical natures, emotional, social, and intellectual. And all of this that God knew, of course, from the beginning, because he made us and wired us, uh, we're finally taking 2,500 years to find out what the Bible said all along was true. So the interesting thing here for us in this text is that the brain uh, can repattern itself, and it's modifiable in adults, according to John Dowling, that this isn't something that is you know, just for youth, you know, that whole we say like babies are like sponges and they learn and learn and learn. We're always learning all our lives and our brains are taking on new information. There was one study on concentration that compared the concentration abilities of young, uh, say, young adults and older adults. And what they found was a bit counterintuitive is that their ability to concentrate is pretty similar. The difference between an, an older person and a young one is that the older person has just so much more experience, uh, maybe to draw on on one hand, but also to get in the way, if you know what I mean, if that makes sense. So there's a, just so the, the, the point here then is that our brains are, are plastic or elastic. They, they can take on new information and they can repattern themselves. And a lot of uh, work is going on. In, uh, in, in helping people, say, for example, in stroke recovery, uh, in people who have uh, concussion and they're victims of accidents, is how can the brain uh, pattern itself and repattern itself and, and find ways to work around areas that have been damaged? Uh, Norman Doidge puts it this way, that the brain is plastic. It can change its structure and its function by thought and activity. Another interesting thing that we found out through research that I think bears very much on this text in our life as Christians is that the two easiest ways to remember something are if you do it habitually or regularly. Okay, if you do it by habit, if you always hang your keys in the same place or put your phone in the same place, like uh, one fellow said, Mel Levine, if you have trouble remembering, you know, for guys, it's before you leave the house, it's keys, wallet phone, whatever, you know, if we do it habitually, then we have a better chance of remembering it. The other thing is we tend to remember things that come at us by surprise. Okay. And, and if something, and that can be a good thing. Okay. You can, if you have a good surprise, if, if somebody shows up, uh, a long last friend or a relative, they just turn up at your place. You're never going to forget that visit. Okay. So things that happen, uh, one time, by surprise, uh, are, are things that are quite easy uh, to remember as well. So the point of all this, I think, is that 
the 200, uh, 2,500 years of discovery basically uh, affirms that God, what God is saying in Romans 12:2 that the human mind is capable of change and growth and renewal, that we can be transformed uh, by the renewing of our mind, and I would submit that's inevitable. If, you, if you're seriously engaged with God and his word, your mind is going to change. It's going to be renewed and washed, and your, your thoughts will be new thoughts, they'll be his thoughts, which leads to a, a change in the way we act. And I think this is in uh, concert with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but th though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed uh, day by day. Now, I want to think about uh, all of this in the broader context of, of the book of Romans. Um, in the context of the problem that Paul is addressing and the answers that he's giving. And one way of looking at this is that um, in the first two chapter, uh, first 11 chapters, he's talking about the problem, the universal problem of sin. And if you, if you read um, chapters 1 and 2 in particular, you'll notice uh, some of the, uh, just some of the depth of the darkness, you know, that was, that was in that culture. And then in the other chapters, uh, 12 to the end, he's, he's giving us uh, guidance as to what do you do with this. Now that you know that there's a problem, now that we have God's universal answer, uh, which is in uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that is the fundamental answer to sin. That is what the gospel is. And Paul said in this book something very interesting. He says it at the beginning, and he says it at the end, that his goal is to bring about the obedience of faith. Okay? That to this gospel, God would like a response. He would like us to be uh, justified by faith, by putting our faith into Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. That he would like us to be united with him in baptism. And following that, that we would walk in newness of life, in this transformed life. So, in one sense, then, Romans 12, 1 to 2 is a scenic vantage point. It's kind of like a mountaintop uh, culmination of what he's been doing. On the one hand, we can look back to the God's universal answer to the universal problem of sin, which, of course, is uh, the gospel. And on the other hand, we can look forward to how we live and love others and God in response uh, to the gospel and all he has done. And, the, of course, uh, this brings us to the, the verse that we're looking at today, which is that we, we are to be transformed uh, in the renewing of our mind. Now, the core idea here, I think you've all heard this before, is where we get the word metamorphosis. Uh, it, is, uh, it is the root of this expression uh, to be transformed by. Now, you'll notice it's up in the passive sense, right? This is something that we want to allow God to do in us. But there's also our active component, which is our response uh, to the gospel and how we live uh, with these renewed minds. So the power of the gospel that Paul's talking about in Romans then, that he's not ashamed of, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So the power of the gospel is in, is in Christ, it's in the spirit, and it brings about this standing in righteousness 
uh, that we have with God. The other important thing, as I mentioned at the beginning, is the power of God's spirit in this process of renewal. And Paul says uh, some beautiful and important things. In Romans 8 and 6, he says that the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And then he goes on in verse 11 to say something very beautiful. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. And I think here we have a beautiful transfer, uh, a, a transaction, this exchange, our dead bodies for the life of Jesus. You know, the spirit of the world uh, for the spirit of God. And um, there's a, I hope you see here the, the whole beautiful sense of the idea of transformation. Now, there is a, a thing here that Dodge calls the plastic paradox. And that is that, okay, if our mind can be molded for good, all right, on one hand, through the spirit, the risk is that our mind can equally be molded by negative uh, influences of our culture. Like Paul said, that bad company uh, can corrupt uh, good character. So the way he defines this is culture is not just produced by the brain. It is also, by definition, a series of activities that shape the mind. And as somebody once said you, uh, to students, be very, very careful about what you put into your mind because you can never get it out. Okay? And so we have around us uh, huge forces that are impacting our mind. There's another interesting thing about the relationship between God's word and spirit and our culture on our mind. We talked about this metamorphosis, which is a transforming. It's a changing of form uh, that's fundamentally concerned with in, inner character and condition. The, uh, the mold of the world, on the other hand, the word he uses there is where we get the idea of a schematic. It's like when you, you force something into a mold uh, against its will and, and you change its shape in that regard. So he says... Um, do not be conformed uh, to this world or to this age, but rather be transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind. So let's see if we can put this together and talk for a minute about how does this work in our, in our lives today. So the fundamental uh, beginning point, of course, is to hear and believe the gospel, because this is God's universal answer to our universal problem of sin. When our minds have been too much conformed uh, to the world, we need to start with the fact that it's Christ who died for our sins and that he was raised and that he um, came to life on the third day, according to the word. And then when we're baptized into Jesus, uh, we're baptized into his death so that he as he was raised uh, from the dead through the glory of the father. Then, as we said, we, too, uh, may walk in newness of life. So walking is something that engages our entire being we have to think about our steps we have to move uh, we have to find a direction to where we're going and all of our faculties are used in that if you would um, as we surrender to God and allow him to, uh, to to renew our minds a key instrument of course in our transformation is uh, the word of God what Paul calls the washing of water with the word and this brings us back to the earlier point that what do we remember most easily? Those are the things that we do habitually. 
and the things that come by surprise. Okay. Have you ever had that experience where you've been reading a passage, you know, for 20 years and suddenly you come back to it and you see words that you never saw before? You say, when did God add that to the Bible? Well, why does that happen? Well, it happens because you've had experiences, you've done things to um, act on the, the word of God that allow you to see it in a deeper way. So there are things that happen to us by surprise. Some of them are joyful. Some of them are difficult. But all of those things can enrich our, word, our, our appreciation and our experience of the depth uh, of God's word. So the things we do regularly, such as reading the Bible, are really essential um, to the, this transformation that Paul wants us to, uh, to have happen in our lives. I think this is one of the dimensions to this mystery of what is Paul saying when he says we have the mind of Christ. Like that is an incredible statement. I think part of that is certainly we have his words. But we also have the words active in us. And we collectively have experiences like he says uh, in his prayer in Ephesians that we can have power together, you know, to know the love of God. Because each one of you is experiencing that love in, in ways that are, are different uh, than than from mine and, and from others. So coming back up to the, uh, the mountaintop, we, we see that Paul's desire is for uh, us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And his ultimate goal, as we, saw in Ro- uh, we see in Romans 8, is that God wants to transform us to make this change into the image of his son. And so we present our, our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, this is have you ever had your brain completely stop? You know, your brain never quits. OK, like even when you try to, in quotes, meditate, your brain is working. That's why Paul says in Philippians four to think on these things. OK, everything that's good. So. We can't stop our brains. They're constantly working 24-7. Even when we're sleeping, they're working. And the psalm says that God gives to his beloved uh, even in his sleep. But I think there's a beautiful thing here, what he says, about a living sacrifice. Okay? If you're a dead sacrifice, okay, how many times can you offer yourself? Any more than one? Okay, that's it. But if you're a living sacrifice, how often can you offer yourself? You're constantly being offered to God, right? We're constantly able to serve. We're constantly able to worship in that sense. And what I mean by that is not that we abandon Sunday morning or Sunday evening or any other times when we collect, but we can always offer ourselves in worship. We can always worship him wherever we are and engage in his mission. Like, does God take a day off from his mission or a night off? I think God is working like Jesus said, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. My father's working even to this day, and we are engaged uh, in his mission. And then he finally says uh, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, the most good and acceptable, perfect thing, I think, is to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and with all of our strength. Um, I just find this incredibly encouraging. It, it's like the potential is, is amazing uh, when we realize that we can always be growing. There's always more that we will learn as we experience different things, as we, we challenge ourselves, as we risk 
uh, for Christ, that we will keep on growing. There's no limit uh, to how far we can go. I just want to say, if you are here today and you want to be on this new uh, life, on the, walking in the newness of life, and you haven't uh, put on Jesus uh, in baptism, if you haven't uh, let God start to renew your mind in this way, we pray that you may come forward today or, or see one of our leaders uh, to talk with them about how you can do that. But I just want to um, conclude where we started. I hope that you find this encouraging and this will offer, um, offer you something uh, to, to go on as, as you allow God's word uh, to transform you and that we can all together uh, be transformed uh, by the renewing of our minds. Thank you.